of weeks. Um, I'll give you just a quick summary. Week one, we're looking at um, the financial economic strategy of God from a kingdom mindset. And I think it's really important in this time where there is so many financial struggles, so many um, warnings of, of downturns and recessions and everything else that goes along with it, that we have a biblical understanding of what we're meant to do, how we're meant to live, and how we can best use um, our finances. So week one, we were looking at what it means to be a steward. Are we a steward or are we a manager of our finances? Do we own everything that we have or does it belong to God? Does everything belong to God? Is he the, are we just stewarding what God's given us? And we came to the conclusion that even the breath in our lungs is a gift from God. And if that's the case, then everything that we have is a gift from God to us. Therefore, we're stewards. Then uh, last week, we looked at the, the thought of tithing, returning our, our 10%, returning our tithe to God, and how important that is in our life, that we uh, are honoring him in returning our tithes to the Lord. How important it is, what it looks like, how it, how, how it works together. And um, you know, it, it is always with a heart of thanksgiving. You know, it's not done out of compulsion. It's not done because someone's twisted your arm. It's done out of revelation. I can see what the Word of God says. If you didn't hear the message last week, can I encourage you to go back and listen to the message? Um, and that way you can hear what's been taught. That would be great. Um, but it's always being returned with a heart of thanksgiving. And then we started to look at the principle uh, that we saw in Scripture that reveals wholehearted giving. Wholehearted giving to God, to, to God's house, to one another. And, and that's where I really want to pick up today. Um, because for me, I, I don't think I've ever heard anyone teach on what wholehearted giving looks like. Um, so it's in that sense, teaching it from the front is quite, um, it's a new concept. Um, so, you know, I, I want lots of scriptures. I want lots of backup to what I'm teaching here today. But I believe the New Testament teaches wholehearted giving. We're going to start in the book of Acts. So, you, you know, you can have your, your Bible ready in the book of Acts, chapter 1, chapter 2. Um, I'm just going to give you a brief overview first off. So the beginning of Acts chapter 1 is where Jesus turns around to his disciples and says, look, wait or tarry in Jerusalem until you are empowered from on high. We know that that was an instruction. There were 120 men and women who then decided that they were going to go to the upper room. They were going to uh, wait until the Holy Spirit came and Jesus ascended into heaven. He said, if I leave, I will send the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, who will come after me in the works that I do, you shall do also. In Acts chapter 2, we see the coming of the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell on 120 men and women in the upper room. They were filled with the fire of God. They were filled with God himself. And, and in that moment, uh, tongues of fire and the wind of the Holy Spirit blew through the place and they were all filled. And immediately, the Bible says, they left the upper room, they went out into their community, and they start preaching the gospel. They start sharing the wonderful works of God. Now, in, in, you know, if, if you want what church should look like today, that is it. Filled with the Holy Spirit, going out into our community, sharing the wonderful works of God. 
In that moment, something begins to happen in the community. We know that there's 120 who were saved, and yet they're going out into their community. Suddenly, Peter, in, as he's preaching and sharing the wonders of God, he stands up on a platform and begins to preach with all of his heart, and he preaches Christ crucified. The one in whom you said, crucify him, crucify him. He's alive, he's, he's, a, he's risen from the dead, and he's now living in us. The, the hearts of the people were were cut to the core. It says that they, their hearts condemned them. Their hearts cut them to the core of who they were. And they cried out, what must we do to be saved? We know at that moment, 3,000 souls were added to the church. So all of a sudden, the church is now 3,120 strong. And they got baptized. They believed and they were baptized. I love the fact that we got Joe, we got Carl, uh, Inky, Inky, is Inky in the room? Don't know if Inky's here or not. Um, but getting baptized today, that is exactly what took place in the New Testament. That's what the New Testament church felt like. But on this occasion, there were 3,000 souls added to the church. They received Jesus as Lord and Savior. They got baptized in that moment. And do you know what? There was something unique that happened. In Acts 2.41, that revival breaks out. 3,000 souls are added. And then in the very next verse, Acts 2.42, we read these words. And this is what the New Testament is all about. This is what our church is all about. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. These are the four pillars of the church. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. That is the four pillars of the New Testament church. That is what every church should be built on. Then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. This, this isn't an either or, I'll, I'll come to church or I'll stay at home and do church at home. No, this is both. That's why we do church together and we do connect groups. Because we believe in the principle of doing both. And it's so important according to the apostles' doctrine. So they continued in one accord break, in, in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. There, there was no need to try and convince these 3,000 new converts... They didn't know the Bible. They hadn't seen the New Testament teachings of the Gospels. They suddenly encountered Jesus at salvation. They encountered him as Christ crucified through Peter's preaching. And all of a sudden, they are all in one accord. They believed that no one had, nothing was theirs, and that they were willing to share everything that they had. This is incredible Christianity community living. At its best. I'm not saying, right, okay, we're all going to sell our houses and we're going to move locally here and have all. The... No, I know churches that have done that 
it works for a period of time until someone falls out with somebody else. So we're not going to sell our houses and move locally, okay? But I want to show you that it is a principle of how they lived and how they gave. They just did it. They came into a culture, the spiritual culture that the 120 were living by. They stepped into that culture and the culture of the 3,000 didn't change the 120. The 120 changed the culture of the 3,000. And this was a new lifestyle. So what I'm doing this morning is not, I'm not building a concept of wholehearted giving just from this one passage. I believe there are several different passages that make this a spiritual principle. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians 13 verse 1 about building, if you like, biblical principles. This is Paul talking to the Corinthian church. He said, this will be the third time I'm coming to you. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. You can't just take... Let let, let me read this because I I found this about biblical understanding. All right, When it comes to rightly dividing the word of God, the Greek word dividing is orthotomeo. And it refers to making a straight cut. Rightly dividing the word of God. A straight cut in truth. Both the Old and the New Testament repeat the principle that to establish a fact requires two or three witnesses. Even to the, uh, the sentencing of someone in, to death or sentencing them for a crime, there needed to be two or three witnesses. Old Testament and New Testament. This means you can't take a single verse or part of a verse and say this is what the Bible says. You are required to provide the collaborating, cooperating, and corresponding testimony of at least a second witness. So the goal to correct biblical interpretation is to find at least two scriptures that say the same thing, even though they may say it using different words. All right? So I wanted to clarify that I'm bringing what is a biblical concept we may never have heard or heard taught before. So with that in mind, let's flick forward two chapters to Acts chapter 4. We know that the church is growing incredibly quickly. Remember, there was 120. Then they saw 3,000 added on the day of Pentecost. Then we see in this moment when the uh, the crippled man at Gate Beautiful is healed. And the Bible tells us now that 5,000 more were added. So now we're talking about a church in Jerusalem of approximately 10,000 people. The church is growing quickly. This is what was said in Acts 4.32. Now the multitude of those who believe were of one heart and one soul. That sounds familiar to what we read in chapter 2. Because there is a common theme that the culture was oneness. There was one heart. There were of one soul. Neither did anyone say that anything they possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. It sounds so familiar to Acts chapter 2. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold And laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed as anyone had need. 
Now that is slightly added to what we read first off. And I want to address something. Before we go on to the next group, I want to address a false teaching that is going around church circles or Christian circles in the UK today. And that is, I no longer need to tithe or give my offering to the church leadership. I'll ask the Holy Spirit and I'll give my money where I want. That is not the biblical way of doing it. And I'm going to qualify that and quantify that later on. Okay, But that's not what was being done here. Let's read this passage, the last part of that passage again. For all who were possessors of land, so if I had land or I had several houses, I sold them. They were mine to sell. And I brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. And they distributed the sale of the money that I got for my house or my houses and my land. I gave it to the apostles and they distributed. It's incredible how this begins to outwork. I want us to consider a third passage because I want to establish something here. In Acts chapter 4, verse 36. And Joash, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. Can you see that this is an ongoing principle that was seen in the New Testament? It happened once in Acts chapter 2. It happened again in Acts chapter 4. It happened again in Acts chapter 4, verse 36. The key factor here is that they bought their money, they bought their income, and they laid it before the apostles' feet, and they distributed it. The key is they trusted the leadership. They trusted, they, you know, if I, if I went and sold my house and, and sold, well, I don't have land, but if I, if I went and sold my house and my van and I gave it to the church leadership, I, it, would, it becomes a trust issue. Do I trust that they will distribute the finances in a correct manner? This, though, is still the biblical way. We can, we can beat around the bush and say, well, that was okay for them at the start of the church. But I believe it's a principle that continued. That each one, whatever we have within the room, let's be generous with what we have as a steward, not the owner. You know, you may have a beautiful lawnmower. Is it your lawnmower or can we all use it? It should be a case that we have access to it because I'm just a steward of the beautiful lawnmower that I have. And that goes with everything. It, they shared all things in common that no one lacked anything. I believe that that is the ideal. Can we live by ideals? Some ideals we can, but we also need to live with realities. We don't live in a community like they lived in. But what a beautiful way to live, where all of a sudden they came together with such a heart, 10,000 of them. And then if you, if you look in the next few chapters of Acts, you'll see that they multiplied, that they, at one point, they who had turned the world upside down had come to a particular place. The, the Christianity was spreading like wildfire. But I believe the heart, the oneness, 
the one accord, the being together was so evident that whoever came in loved what they experienced because it wasn't me first, what I want, how I want it. It was about the collective love of one another. By this, you men will know that you're my disciples for your love for one another. That is what I believe caused them to live this way. They love one another. They were under pressure from the Roman authorities. They were under pressure from the Sadducees and the Pharisees. They were under pressure from every religious side that they could go, military side. But it was love that kept them together. That has got to be the basis and the foundation of the church of the 21st century. That we have a deep love for one another. That when one hurts, we all hurt. When one is rejoicing, we're all rejoicing. When we can meet a need, we show that we can meet that need. Because I believe that's the New Testament way. So we bring today, you may have done it during the week, we bring our tithe, our offering, our gift, our wholeheartedness, however you want to describe it. And we put it in an envelope, or we do it online, or we do it by standing order. But the key is we do it. We don't let others do it. We don't say, well, everybody else may do it, or somebody else might not do it, and therefore I don't think I will. We look at the Word, and we do what the Word teaches. There's also a fourth kingdom principle or strategy revealed in God's Word. And I want us to look at the fourth one. I want to bring as much as I can over these three weeks. I said I was going to do three weeks on finance. I'm going to stick to that and do three weeks on finance, because I don't want anyone saying we always talk about money. We don't. We mention it because it's an important part of our life. So the the fourth area, so we've done stewards, we've done returning our tithe, wholehearted giving, and now we're going to look at this one. And this is another one of those passages which are the first mention in the Bible, which is so important of our understanding of biblical truth. Genesis chapter 8 and verse 20. It says this, And Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean four-footed animal and of every clean fowl or bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, a scent satisfying, a scent of satisfaction to his heart. To me, that is a barbecue. All right? I read this, I thought, that is a barbecue. You know, there's an f- open fire, and they're putting meat on the open fire. And the Lord, the, the Lord loves a barbecue, all right? You may, you may think they're just, but the Lord loves a barbecue. The smell was of satisfaction to his heart. It's warming. I tell you what, I may not be the best barbecue cooker. Cooker? Chef. chef. Um, I may not be the best barbecue chef, and I'm certainly not the best barbecue eater, but the smell of a barbecue, I am just like God. It brings satisfaction to my heart. I love the smell of a good barbecue. Anyway, that's a side note. That's not what the first mention. That probably is the first mention of barbecue. Um, but there we go. Okay, it doesn't say barbecue. Okay, someone's going to say it. He doesn't say barbecue. I know, I know. The Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of man, 
For the imagination, for his imaginations or the strong desires of a man's heart is evil and wicked from his youth. Neither will I again smite and destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, seed, time and harvest, cold and lots of heat, summers, a nice one for a change, and winter and day and night shall not cease. This is an unchangeable law. It was spoken of in the Old Testament. Remember, part of the law under the Old Testament was the tithe. Before the tithe was the principle of tithing. But here it says, while the earth remains, thankfully we are still here. There's part of me that can't wait to go where we're going next. Because this earth is a horrible place to live. There is beauty around, but the world needs us like never before. So whilst we're here, let's do what God has called us to do and be a light that shines in the nation. But it says here, while the earth remains, sea time and harvest. Sea time and harvest. Oh yeah, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, we'll all continue as well. But the seed time and harvest law is what God chose for the law of increase on planet earth. See, it is the law of increase. I can guarantee, okay, I'm not, I'm not good on plants. The likelihood is, I'll put it that way, who, who's got an allotment or grows vegetables? Okay, for those who have, when you plant a seed, whether it's a marrow or a courgette or a tomato or whatever it is, when you plant the seed in the ground, you don't get a tomato that appears. Do you? No. Otherwise, see, even if you've got one tomato, the seed in the tomato is harvest. Agreed? Because there are hundreds of seeds in the tomato. But you don't just get one tomato, you get many tomatoes, and on those many tomatoes are multiple hundreds of future seeds. And this is the law of increase that we need to take a hold of in our lives. It's the law of seed time and harvest or the law of reproduction. All right? This law always works. It always works. It includes everything from sowing seeds to f- for farming crops, to making babies, to building friendships, to helping others, and to our finance. He who sows will also reap. I have now got 10 grandchildren, but it all started with us. And the Moldapole family. Seed sown, harvest increased. Same with everybody else in the room. You're here because seed was sown and harvest happened. True? Happened in the natural. It wasn't a spiritual conception. You weren't a virgin birth. Okay? You may think you're that good, but you're not. It was by the grace of God that we're all here. Whether it's farming for crops, whether it's producing a family, or whether it's our financial giving, it starts with the seed 
it goes into the ground and it produces a harvest. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. <clears throat> Let me just, whilst you're looking at it or finding it. It says this, 2 Corinthians uh, 9 verse 6. This is Paul talking to the church at Corinth. And he says, remember this. In other words, he was saying, look, I need to bring your attention back to this principle. Because some had begun to forget forget what and how the principle works. He said, remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. Now, now Paul here is using the analogy of a farmer, knowing the law of seed, time, and harvest. He knew. He was, he was, he was opening up the, the teaching or the sharing with the church by saying, look, this is how farmers get a large crop. They plant lots of seed. Those who have got small Amount of harvest are those who have planted small seed. So in the middle of his preach to the congregation, or his letter to the congregation that was going to be read out as a preach, he was showing the farming analogy. But he was actually talking about the offering in church. Let's follow on, verse 7. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. See, there are so many scriptures that talk about God supplying all your needs when we follow through the pattern. So it says, and God will generously provide all your need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. See, the situation is... There may be some in our lives, some, some of us here, that you always have everything you need and the plenty that you have over, you like to indulge on more things for you. But that's not what the word says. It says, you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Again, it's that generosity, that, that wholehearted giving in our life. As the scripture says, They share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer. If you're going to live your life as a farmer, sowing seed, having enough to live on and blessing others, God will always make sure there is seed in your barn. Because he sees that you're faithful with the little Guess what? He will give you much. This is an incredible principle. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, talking about the farmer, in the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. He's using the same analogy with the farmer. You all know how the farmer works. He's talking, remember, he's talking to farmers or fishermen or, or people who are, their livelihood is made up this way. 
So he's using something that is unique to them, familiar for them to understand. For us, it's our allotment or it's our grass in the garden. But the same principle works that God will create a harvest of generosity. When we see this work, he will create a heart of generosity. He will see you as a a conduit, a flow. The more seed that he provides, the more generous you become. Why? Because you have a heart of generosity. At first, it may not be a heart of generosity. It may be, Lord, I want to try this. I want to see this work. I want to give it a go. And then you start seeing it happen. And God, God says that he will produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous. You know, you, you, we, can't, we can't say, well, that's not talking about money. It is. And the Bible is very clear, clear that it's talking about money. And then he says, and we will take your gifts to those who need them and they will thank God. I just want to encourage you. You know, our being faithful with our finances, sowing and reaping, this is where we have the joy of saying and going up to someone with a Pentecostal handshake and saying, Pentecostal handshake, Stephen, here we go. Pentecostal handshake, leave something in their hand when you walk away. He's got my keys to my van. It's the only thing I had in my pockets. No, he's, he's going to sell it and then get, live off the profit. It, but Pentecost, years gone by, Pentecostal handshakes. Do anyone remember the old-fashioned Pentecostal handshake? You'd go up to someone, you'd have a fiver or a tenner or whatever, or a, an envelope with money, and you'd shake hands and you'd walk away, leaving them with a packet, and you think, they're looking. What a beautiful way to live. I don't know, Stephen. Let me check it out. Thank you. (laughs) I don't know what key that's for, if I'm honest. Anyway, thank you, Stephen, for helping. Can you see? We know of a pastor who walks around his church, a very, very large church. 40-odd thousand, I think it is. And he just walks up to people and gives them a sum of money or gives them a car. I'd love to be able to do that. I'm not there yet. Especially with my van. (laughs) It's not that precious to me. I just need it for all the work that I do down here and dumping everything that goes in the back of my van. But do you know what? If the Lord spoke to us and said, give it away, I'd have an argument with the Lord and then I would give it away. Because I know that whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. Because each seed produces after its own kind. If I sowed a van seed, I would get a harvest of something better than what I've sown. Every seed produces after its own kind. You sow generosity, you will reap generous 
a generous heart and generosity will come back to you. You sow friendship. Oh, there's people that over the years have said, well, it's not a very friendly church. <laughs> he who wants friends must first show himself friendly. If you want friendship, sow friendship. Join a connect group. Break the mold. Join a group. Be a part. Get to know each other. If you, if you want wisdom, sow for wisdom. If you want financial increase, what do you do? You give, don't you? You sow it in the ground. You give to the Lord. See, again, whenever, if, if I suddenly gave Barbara something, oh, my, I just noticed my, my wallet is here. I have a fiver. I knew I had a fiver. If I give a fiver to Barbara... What's done in secret should stay in secret. That's amongst us all, so you have to give it back. It's, you, otherwise, my profit is lost. All right? The key is, is to do it in secret. To do it, I've given to Barbara. I've given to man, mankind, womankind on the earth. But I've given to the Lord. I've given my heart is because I bless the Lord. I don't do that with my tithe. That's not my tithe. I don't do it with the first fruit of my increase. That's God's. That's holy unto him. But I do give him of my seed. And I give that to others. It's the seed offering. The, 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 the thanks offering. I'm giving it to someone, but I'm thanking you, Lord. That it will come back to me, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will come back into my life. Let me just give you a couple of illustrations. The young lad who, who, who went for a picnic, encountered Jesus, saw the dilemma that the disciples were in because there was no food and not enough money, and the little boy said, I have five loaves and two fish. The disciples, I can guarantee those disciples turned around and said, go away, little boy. We don't want your, we don't want your leftovers. We, this, that's no good for us. But Jesus saw and said, here, come here. He prayed and blessed it. When God, <laughs> when God prays and blesses whatever you do, there will always be a harvest greater than you could ever imagine. In this little boy's life, his five loaves and two fish fed 5,000 men besides the women and children. How? Let's do a... Let's do a there were 5,001. Only one person was married, and that was one woman. Five, five loaves, two fish. How big were the loaves? Okay, it was a French stick. I don't know if they had French stick. Five French sticks feeding 5,100 people. How big were the fish? Well, okay, my biggest fish that I've caught was about that big. <laughs> it was 32 and a half pounds. It was huge. It was... But this was a supernatural. 5,000 men, besides the women and children, where they multiply more than what men do. So let's say there were 15,000 there that day. 15,000 hungry people. Remember, they were hungry. They'd been with Jesus all this time. He said, the people are hungry. The disciples said, send them home, Lord. He said, no, feed them. 
five, five loaves. See, this young boy sowed five loaves, two fish. What did he get in return? Twelve basketfuls of leftovers. I don't know, about, I don't know about what I would have done with those twelve. Twelve basketfuls of leftovers to take home to his mum. Mum, look. Mum, look. I feel like uh, Fireman Sam. What's his name? Norman Price. Mum, look. Uh, Twelve basketfuls over. That's the principle of sowing and reaping. You will never out-bless, out-give God. Never. Then, Then there's the woman in the Old Testament. Elijah, the prophet of God, He's just been by, he's just had a word with Ahab. He's told Ahab it's not going to rain on the earth. We think it's bad for, for 70 days or whatever it is without rain. They were three and a half years without a drop of rain. There was a famine in the land. You know, there isn't a famine in our land. We can still go to Iceland and we can still go to the shops and buy our food. There's not a famine in the land. We're not desperate. It is 26 degrees in here. Me and you, 26 degrees, all right? There isn't a famine in the land, but three and a half years, he then, there's nothing left. God says, go to the brook Cherith. He goes to the brook Cherith, and the ravens begin to bring food and, and bread and, and meat to him, and he's able to feed himself and, and drink from the brook. Amazing miracle of God. But this was only a step in the process of this amazing miracle, because the Bible says that God had prepared a woman for him in Zarephath. And he's there and he's considering what to do next. And God says, go to Zarephath. I've prepared a woman there for you. I wonder if he was thinking, am I going to get married or what's going to happen? You know. But as he goes and as he enters the city, there's this lady out on the outside of the city gathering a few sticks. And he says to this lady, I would like you to prepare a meal for me. She then turns around and says, I have a little oil and flour that me and my son are going to eat a, a baker cake or whatever it was and eat and die. That's how desperate this situation is. You may be in a financial desperate situation. Don't forget to bring God into your equation. Life may be desperate for you, but don't forget to bring God into the equation of your life, in the journey of your life. And this woman brought God into the center and said, wait there. She went off and baked a cake, not a cake like we know it, a cake like they know it, and brought it back to the man of God. And the man of God said, because you have fed me, you will be fed by God all the way through. She sowed to the man of God, or to God, but the man. I'm not saying this for you to all start sowing into my life. That's not. Let's, she sowed into the man, but gave her offering to God. And in the process of that journey, all her needs were met by God. When the famine was over, she was fed all the way through, through God's goodness. You can find that in 1 Kings chapter 17. An amazing miracle of God. 
And, and I, I just look at these and I think this, if we believe the word of God, if we truly believe in God, he's got all these principles laid down for us to live by. Because God doesn't want us to be limited by our natural circumstances. He wants to help us to walk in the fullness of his blessing. This is my last thought. Has money got you under its control? Whether that's because you love it, because you enjoy spending, or because you're in such a tight corner. Has money got you under its control? Or are you a generous steward of all that God has given This is what the word says. For wherever your riches are, your heart will be there also. Wherever your riches are, your heart will be there also. This is an incredible gauge, if you like, to determine whether God, God's house, what God is doing, the house of God, the man of God, whether your heart is in what God has said, or whether your heart is somewhere else. Do you bring your riches, your wealth, your finance, do you bring it into God's house, or is it some, somewhere else? Is it consumed somewhere else? Because this is what the word God says. For wherever your riches are, that is where your heart will be. I know it's a, it's a difficult word, but I tell you, it's a life-changing word. In other words... If we're living as a good steward of all that we have and that we are returning to God the tithe with a heart of thanksgiving and we're sowing into the lives of others, it goes back to Philippians 4.19. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. And my God will supply all your needs. And my God will supply all your needs. What did Jesus teach us to pray? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Give us this day our daily bread. What the, the very things that we need for our day, give it. It's, it's all over the New Testament. Let this word be in you. A word that the Holy Spirit can minister into your heart and life. My, my question that I want to ask What is the Holy Spirit saying to you through his word today? Is it a challenge? Is it causing you to rethink and reprocess? Is it causing you to think, right, I I, I repent. I'm sorry, Lord, I've not done it your way. But from now on, I'm going to look at what we bring in and I'm going to take that step of faith. And you, Lord, have said that my God will supply all my needs. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to speak into our life this morning. You may be here and today is your first time with us or you've not given your life to the Lord or you're journeying through and you're hearing things from time to time. I can assure you, we, Jane and I, have put the Lord to the test, as it says in Malachi, and we've proved we lived in a house for 17 years that we financially could not afford and when we went to sell it the bank said I have the bank said we have never known how you've managed to be able to pay for the house that you're in the house that we're in we got because we all our children's um, 
family tax credit was included in our mortgage. That was the only reason we could get the mortgage that we in. We were knocked down a huge lump, then our tax credit, but our children grew up and tax credits disappeared. And we're living in a house and have done for many years in a house that we can't afford. But God, my God shall supply all your needs. If we went to buy our house, we would never be able to get a mortgage for it. But God, maybe today is a day where you say, okay, I'm going to start putting God to the test. I'm going to start proving him in the area of my finance. But maybe today you need to prove him to be who he is, the God of your life. Is God the God of your life? Have you made him the Lord and your Savior? Because today's a great day to say yes to him. So we're going to pray a very simple prayer just to close the meeting this morning. And, and if there's anybody today and you say, I want, to, I want Jesus in my life and I'd like to get baptized... Or you've never been baptized and today you're saying, I'd love to get baptized today. The weather is perfect. I mean, the reasons for getting baptized are perfect and the weather is great. Feel free to get baptized today as well. Okay, let's pray this prayer. Jesus, I thank you that you made all this possible because of the cross. Because you died in my place. You took my sin in my place. You change my life. And today, Lord, I want to receive you as my Lord and Savior. I accept what you've done. I accept that you are the king and you are the one who leads me and you guide me in life. So Jesus, I surrender all that I may receive everything of who you are. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have prayed that prayer for the very first time. You may have prayed it as part of a journey where your life is growing in God and, and, and you're finding out who he is in your world. But I want to count to five. And if the Lord is impressing something on your heart today and you want to give your life to him, or you'll want to give your life back to him because you've taken ownership again. I'm going to count to five. I'm going to ask you to pop up your hand. One, two, three, four, five. If that's you, just pop up your hand and acknowledge what Jesus is doing. Thank you. I see that hand. Is there any else in this room you say, yes, yeah, me. I, I'm, I need to face God, I need to come back to him, and I need him in my life. Is there anybody else in this room? You pop up your hand now. Father, I thank you. Lord, I thank you for the journey of each one of us. Father, I pray that your word, as we allow your word to land on our heart, Lord, we would walk in obedience to your word. In Jesus' name, amen.